Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith's America Podcast, Volume 33. And this week, we have a legend. I mean, like a legit legend. First ballot, Major League Baseball Hall of Famer, Chipper Jones. And this guy was one of the phases of the South for two decades. And with a distinguished career that spanned all of that time with a single team, the Atlanta Braves, the production that Jones put up year after year after year is historic. And that's why he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And it's so fun to talk to baseball players. The biggest reason I love to chat with baseball players is the storytelling. They have the best stories. And Chipper was more than willing to share some of his best stories. There's a story about a flashbang and a gas grill. There's a story about a broken hand. There's a story about the why there's the broken hand. And it's wonderful. Every bit of it's wonderful. This is one of my favorite conversations I've had on the Marty Smith's America podcast. We get into Chipper's passion for the outdoors. And any of you guys that watch Buck Commander, you'll be so interested to learn about his transition from Buck Commander to Major League Bowhunter. And why? Because I was uh, being an outdoors enthusiast. And it's fascinating. So y'all are going to love this one. I can't wait for you to hear it. I want to hear your thoughts on it. Hit Travis and me up on Twitter. We want to know your feedback. My handle is at Marty Smith ESPN. Travis's is at Travis Rockhold. And we want to know what you think about this thing, man. We're having so much fun with it. I love when I'm out and I hear from you guys about how much you enjoy these interviews and what they mean to you. I want to know because we want to make them better. We want to make them as good as we can. Before we get to Chipper, I want to talk threads with y'all. Indochino, the world's most exciting made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for unparalleled fit and comfort. Guys love the wide selection of high-quality fabrics and colors to choose from and the option to personalize the details. Your lapel, lining, pockets, buttons, and writing your own monogram. It's so easy. Right now's the time, guys. Right now is the time to go to Indochino.com and get any premium suit for just $359. Indochino.com, enter the promo code MARTY at checkout, and you get 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Shipping's free. You don't have to pay for shipping. That's Indochino.com, promo code MARTY for any premium suit, just $359 and no shipping. It's an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Do it right now. Indochino is also expanding into casual clothing. Your made-to-measure chinos will quickly become your go-to pants, pairing easily with a suit jacket as they do with a sweater. And they're really good at this time of year as the cold weather's starting to make its way in. And they're versatile from the boardroom to Sunday brunches. Indochinos at an introductory price, just $79. Do it now. And now it's time for our conversation with former Atlanta Braves superstar Chipper Jones. Let's start with the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. So you're inducted into Cooperstown as a first ballot selection. I need you to define that moment for me. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of hard to to describe in just a couple of sentences. It's, um, you know, just a culmination of, you know, my 40 years and – in baseball since I was six or seven years old, you know, in the backyard, 
playing with a, a tennis ball and a PVC pipe with my dad in the backyard. You know, it, it, um, you know, to have it culminate in me standing up there with, uh, you know, at a podium with with sixty living Hall of Famers, my idols. You know, uh, growing up, sitting behind me. I was pretty nerve wracking. I took a public speaking class when I was in high school, but that took it to a whole nother level right there. So that public speaking was, class didn't do a damn thing at the Hall of Fame, did it? No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, I was okay with the forty thousand people sitting in front of me, but the sixty sitting behind me, they made me a little bit nervous. That's every kid's dream, though. One organization, your whole career, first ballot production. What are your emotions thinking back about that moment when you're stepping up to address the crowd and trying to do what you just did? You're trying to encapsulate what this yeah. feels like and, and among all those nerves. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. Um, probably, you know, one of the most intimidating, frightening moments, you know, of your life, you know, because, you know, first and foremost, you don't want to forget anybody or leave anybody out. But, but secondly, it's hard, you know, for someone who doesn't speak professionally for a living, uh, such as yourself, you know, we, we have trouble coming up with the words to, to proper, <laughs> properly describe things from time to time and our feelings on, on, on certain things. So, I guess that's why they gave us about six months to prepare. I think uh, each guy did a did a pretty good job of of celebrating their their baseball career. But I, I think most of us would tell you that when we got done, maybe we could have done it a little better, you know. But uh, you know, hey, to 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 be the face of a franchise, to be you know uh, known as an Atlanta Brave for for basically two decades. Um, that's why I really wanted to, to strike home, you know, the, the point that what Braves country means to me and what, what I know I mean to them. Because let me tell you something, down here in the southeast for three hours every night, people invited me into their homes. They turned on their TV set, and I became a part of their family over two decades. And I think that's really the strong connection that I have with Braves fans, you know, all over the country. What do they say to you now that you're retired and you're out in public and you're on TV, you know, slaying deers, you're Chipper Jones deer slayer. We'll get into that in a minute. But when you're out with the boys or at the grocery store, what yeah. do people say to you? Thank you. And it blows me away every time somebody says thank you, you know. And that's where you really get the feeling that you're a part of their family because while they're sitting around the dinner table, they got the Braves game on. And – you know, I, I was a, a, a big part of their family, and when they say thank you, I'm thinking to myself, man, all I did was play a <laughs> play a damn kids <laughs> game, you know, and and enjoyed doing it. I wasn't really thinking about being in all those homes and being a part of all those families, but to you know, I I, I my only response is, brother, it was my pleasure. You know, I, I for 20 years I had the best job on the planet. So you're 18 years old, get selected number one overall, and you get a $275,000 whopping signing bonus. What'd you buy? <laughs> I bought a 1992 ZR1 Corvette. <laughs> of course you did, because of you're young and stupid. And young and stupid. <laughs> I had that car for about four months before I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm, you know, here I am traveling all over the southeast in the minor leagues, 
and I'm trying to do it in a two-seater Corvette, man, I, it didn't take me long to go out and get the old Ford Explorer, I can tell you that. I was going to ask you, what what was choice number two, like a Toyota Corolla? No, like it, was, it was a green <laughs> Ford Explorer, and I had that sucker pretty much all the way through the minor leagues. What's the pressure of being number one? Uh, a lot more difficult now than it was when 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 I was there. I mean, it was it was it was pretty bad because everything you did was put under a microscope back then. But most of the attention that you got was pr- you know print news. It's you know it's not social media and TV the way you know the way it is now. I can't imagine being the number one pick in the draft nowadays with the amount of hype and pressure and every little move you make being being put over, under a microscope. I thought it was, you know, ridiculous when 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 I did it. Shoot, man, it's it's times a hundred now. I I had it easy, but you know, I, I was always comfortable in my own skin because I felt like if I went out and took care of my business, took care of my job, that I was the number one pick. The Braves were going to give me a chance to fail in the big leagues, and ultimately, that was my dream was just to get to the big leagues. Now I had enough confidence in myself that that. Once I got to the big leagues, I knew I wasn't going anywhere. But um, I think it was just, you know, uh, pressure is what you you put on yourself. You could, if you listen to all the outside influences and, and you don't truly believe in yourself, that's when that's when you set yourself up for failure. But I've never doubted myself, uh, you know, when it comes to stepping in, stepping between those lines. Okay, you didn't doubt yourself. What was the lowest point? Oh, I think rookie ball, you know, right after the draft. You know, I'm I'm coming off a broken hand, which I got in a fight about two weeks before the draft. Broke my hand. and uh, What's the story behind that one? <laughs> you got to read the book, Marty. Come on, man. I do need yeah, to read the book. Forgive me. I will read the book. But <laughs> no. I, since I don't have the book in front of me, at least give me the cliff notes, man. I got a uh, I got in a fight the day before the state championship game my senior year. We were in Lakeland, Florida. We were working out. There were about 25 scouts in the stands. My coach comes up to me, tells me to take you know after I'm done hitting right handed. My coach tells me to take 10 or 15 swings left handed just to show the scouts you know that that I could switch it and whatnot. Well, one of my teammates didn't like that very much when I got done hitting. You know he was. He was dogging me out in the outfield, and I walked up to him and I said, "What's your problem, man? It's ten or fifteen extra swings." <laughs> and, he, and he he called me a prima donna, which really kind of got under my skin a little bit, you know. And I went nose to nose with him, and he said, "Hit me, pretty boy," and I smoked him, <laughs> broke my hand, <laughs> had to you know had to had to pitch the next day, and uh, actually pitched the state championship game with a broken hand and. We ended up losing to uh, Alex Rodriguez's team in the state championship game. No way. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. go ahead and just just uh, pimp your book for me, so that I feel better about this situation. <laughs> well, Carol Carol Rogers Walton, who's covered the Braves forever, is a great friend of mine. Um, she uh, came to me a few years ago and said, "I'd really like to write a book. You need to think about this." And, you know, she thought that it was an interesting story. You know, hey, let me tell you something. If reality TV back in the mid, late 90s had been, you know, in vogue and been following me around, I would have had the hottest show on TV because I was a hot <laughs> mess. Um, a lot going on, anyway, huh, Chipper? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, 
But, uh, yeah, she, uh, and we finally decided to do it. And, uh, the book is called ball player. It took us a couple of years to, to get all the content and get it the way we wanted it to. But, uh, I'm certainly happy with the way it was received. I realized that when you're writing a, a book like that, you know, everybody expects, you know, to, to hear you kind of toot your own horn, I guess you could say, when it comes to the good moments. But I think if you're going to write a truly good, you know, autobiographical, uh, book you have to expose your warts to and there were certainly you know my fair share of them back in the day vulnerability man uh the yep. greatest i'm a huge anybody that listens to the marty smith america podcast or knows anything about me i think one of the greatest skills and talents in the world is songwriting i'm a huge mm-hmm. music guy specifically country songwriters and i study it and the great songs are vulnerable songs the great stories yep. are vulnerable stories so you're exactly right the best stories you are truly showing all of you yourself and that's not easy yeah, well, no it's not easy and it took a lot of uh, uh you know bringing back some 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 painful stuff you know throughout the years i've you know i've been through two marriages and you know it, it was it was a rocky road there for a little while and you know there's there's no doubt that, that baseball contributed in a big way to you know the deterioration of, of both of those marriages um whether it was you know, me being unable to keep temptation at arm's length or whether it was just the lifestyle itself, you know, being gone, you know, playing 200 baseball games, being gone, you know, all day, every day, even when I was home sleeping in my bed, I was gone all day, every day. So uh, it, it definitely uh, puts a strain on people, people that can make it, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, in a big league lifestyle and make it through with passing colors that is one strong strong relationship and they got my utmost respect what was your welcome to the show moment probably in the oh, book my, oh my <laughs> <laughs> definitely in the book uh my first start in the big leagues uh, i got a cup of coffee in 93 uh i got three or four at bats in september i blew out my knee in spring training of 94 that was a come up and you know in and of itself you know on, on the cusp of making the big league uh, roster as a as a uh, you know 22 year old hitting third in the middle of that lineup in 1994 and two weeks before the season I blew out my knee. Um, but I would say the the come up and you know the real kind of you know settle down moment uh, came my very first start 95 top of the first inning. Uh, Maddox is on the mound. Barry Bonds is at the plate and we played an overshift on him. I was actually playing shortstop and, and everybody else was on the other side of the field. And there was a pop-up right in over top of the mound. And, uh, you know, I'm, it's, it's my first start in the big leagues, man. I'm going to be, I'm going to be this take charge third baseman. I come flying in and I'm screaming. And the next thing I know, I'm laying flat on my back with little <laughs> Tweety birds, you know, circling over my head. You know, Bobby wouldn't let us wear, uh, Oakley's back in the day, so we had the old school flip downs. My flip downs were in my mouth, okay? <laughs> and all I can hear is Greg Maddox just dog cussing me like nobody's business, right? So I had run over the $10 million pitcher that we had and Greg Maddox in my very first <laughs> inning of my very first start, all right? And I could just remember hearing Fred McGriff, who actually caught the pop up. Uh, standing over both of us, just laughing, just thought that was just so tickled, you know. 
And uh, Maddox cussed me for about five innings because I think I kicked him in the calf and kind of frogged him in the calf. And he MF'd me like nobody's business for like five innings. And finally I got sick of it. I said, look, I'm trying the best I can. Now stop. I'll break you in half if I have to. <laughs> I just got tired of it. But, uh, yeah, that was kind of my welcome to the big league. I love it. Your other passions are like most country boys' passions, myself included, hunting, fishing, and NASCAR. Yep. And I know that you were one of the first guys involved in Buck Commander with LaRoche and Willie and those guys, and I can't yep. imagine the fun y'all had together. Like, I can't <laughs> – I would have given anything to be in that merry band of gypsies. Tell me well, a gr- what's a great story from those times. It was uh, – we had a um... – He's got a good spread out there in, in Kansas, and um, we were all kind of in his little metal barn, cement, uh, you know, cement floor. He's got a batting cage in there. He's got a volleyball court, you know, real nice lounge and dinner area, and he's got all of his mounts up on the wall and stuff. It's just kind of where he entertains, right? So Willie and LaRoche's brother, his older brother, actually, his um, his older brother, Jeff, we're in this little, you know, kind of prank war. And, uh, Jeff was a, Jeff was a trooper. And it was the key word there is was a trooper out in, uh, in Colorado. So there, you know, I think, um, uh, Willie took all of Jeff's clothes, put it in Jeff's suitcase, filled it full of water and then put it in the, in the walk-in freezer. Okay, so that was that was kind of what got all this kind of stuff started. So Jeff, thinking he's going to be all, you know, cool and, and do the one-uppings, he decides to throw a flashbang. Willie is cooking dinner, okay? Oh, no. On a uh, gas grill, okay? And Jeff decides he's going to throw a flashbang <laughs> up underneath Willie's legs and scare him well in a metal building with a cement floor can you imagine what a flashbang no. sounded like that i thought the world hey, howitzer ended. yes i thought the world <laughs> ended i thought somebody had discharged a weapon somebody got shot everybody was you know diving for the cow i mean it was it was insane well willie you know obviously doesn't know where he is stumbles into the bathroom and literally explodes the commode as he falls. All right. So the commode is in 12 different pieces. There's water everywhere. And, uh, I think Willie had a pretty serious knee injury, you know, from that, from that. And so at that point, I think all the, the, the monster pranks kind of ended. And I told Rochi, I said, Rochi, I love you. I love you like a play cousin, but you keep your brother away from me because that was dangerous. I mean, you know, that was inches from a, you know, a, a, a gas type of a grill. That whole place could have gone up. So that was probably one of the uh, one of the better nights we had at, at Buck Commander. That is exactly what I expected. That yeah. story is mm-hmm. I had high expectations <laughs> and you exceeded them. That's exactly what I wanted. So then you transitioned to Major League Bow Hunter. How did that come yeah. to be? Well, I think uh, Matt Duff and I, we kind of had some of the, the same visions. Um, 
don't get me wrong. We had a blast with, uh, with, with Buck Commander, but it was kind of a, you know, a fraternity-like atmosphere and just kind of a bunch of that crazy stuff going on. And I just felt like, you know, at some points by some people, we weren't take, being taken very seriously in the industry. So I really wanted to get into more of a – trust me, Duff and I, we still have fun. It still comes through, you know, on TV. But I want I, – I really wanted to be a part of – um, hey, why are we in this state at this mm-hmm. time of year? Why are we in this tree, you know, with this wind and more of an educational type of, of uh, platform, you know, as opposed to the, to the Major League Clubhouse type of platform. And, um, you know, it's, it, 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 it's worked out better for, for both sides. I'm still great friends with, with all those guys and, I'm hoping to get back out to Rochi's this year, maybe cross the streams a little bit and, and maybe get back to, to some of the roots of Buck Commander. Um, but it was just a, you know, a, a difference in, you know, opinion really. And, and we went our separate ways, you know, willingly. So I have a relationship with Academy Sports and Outdoors, one of the sporting goods mm-hmm. retailers in the Southeast yep. and do a bunch of work with them in their outdoor space. And I love it because it's like, mm-hmm. You know, hey, we're going to pay you to come out here and, and go hunting and fishing. All right, great. Yeah. I love it. Well, one thing that I have appreciated so much is seeing – I was reminded through this relationship the absolute passion that the outdoors crowd has for being outdoors, for hunting and yeah. fishing. Yeah. What do those guys say to you other than, hey, man, can we go? Can I go hunting with you? Uh, well, yeah, that's <laughs> – that's the, what, what we talk about mostly. I mean, I, if I had a if I had a nickel for every time you know another guy in the industry has come up and said, "Hey, let's go hunt," knowing that we will never <laughs> ever go hunt together, <laughs> uh, I'd be a, a, a lot more well off than I am now. But uh, yeah, it's they say basically the same thing. Thanks for being a spokesman. Thanks for being a voice. You know, thanks for for, uh, you know, helping us out, get across, you know, the, the message that, Hey, uh, uh, this is for, see, for me being in the woods is, is less about the harvesting of an animal. It's more about, it's so cathartic. It's so, you know, it's, it's where you charge your batteries. It's where you get your big decisions made. I can't tell you how many big decisions have been made 20, 25 foot up a, a, a tree, you know, in the, in the fall or the winter, you know, it's just, and, and there, you see something different every day. Every day brings something new around the corner. And, you know, I'm not as, I'm not as mad at the, at the white tails as I used to be. I still go, you know, my fair share, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I love being in camp with the boys and my wife bow hunts. So that gives us both something to do, you know, together. Although, you know, with the, the new addition to the, to the Jones clan here, it's, it's been tougher to get her out, but, uh, yeah, it's something we got in common. And I, I, I can't tell you how awesome it was to be able to finish, you know, playing 200 ball games a year and then leaving the cell phone at home and turning the TV, not having a TV and going out and cooking some venison and being in deer camp for a week. It's just so relaxing. It really is. Uh, there's nothing really like that feeling. I love it. All right, I got a couple more things, and I'll get you out of here. How has the game of baseball evolved the most from your era 
to the current era? I was definitely getting more new school. You know, um, there are a lot of things that, uh, you know, uh, us us old-timers, and I've been out of the game six years, and I'm calling myself an old-timer because I don't think I would make it. You know, I would be I would be the the sacred cow, so to speak, but I'd be a dinosaur in this day and age because, um, you know, some of the things that, that we live by, the unwritten rules that we live by, they're going by the wayside because, you know, the, the game has changed so much. You know, I mean, it's all about home runs and strikeouts, and, and I just, you know, I don't agree with that. You know, yeah, I like hitting the ball out of the ballpark as much as anybody, but I want nine guys in my lineup that put the ball in play that, you know, a, a battle that, that, that uh, you know, got good on-base percentages and hit 300 and, you know, spray the ball all over the field. Those are the guys that I hated seeing come to the – come to the plate you know and and i think so many offenses these days in major league baseball are predicated around the home run and if you know it's been proven for years that good pitching is going to be good hit and uh if those offenses don't hit the ball out of the ballpark they don't win you know and and i said this about the braves in their series with the dodgers from the very get-go i said if the braves and keep the Dodgers in the ballpark. They got a chance to beat them, you know. And, and unfortunately, the Braves couldn't keep them in the ballpark. Did I hear you right? I wouldn't have made it. <laughs> as a forty-year-old, I'm saying as a forty-year-old. Okay, okay, but I okay. Got gotcha. When I was kind of on my way out. Now at twenty-five, I probably would have adapted. At forty years old, I'm a little too set in my ways to be listening to, you know, twenty-two-year-old punks trying to tell me you know, how to play the game. <laughs> Last thing, what do you believe is the biggest obstacle the game faces right now? Oh, let's see. Um, money getting out of hand. I mean, uh, you know, I'm hearing $30 million, $40 million a year, um, you know, for, for certain players. Uh, whether or not they're worth it, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know how anybody can be. I don't know how anybody back when I was playing can make 15 and be worth it. Um, the, the, the problem remains the same, though, when you have one player making that much money uh, or that big a part of you know one team's base salary, you're going to have weaknesses. You know, and, and that's that's where I get back to the point where I was saying I'd much rather have, you know, nine, five, six million dollar players in my everyday lineup that were gritty and gutty and came to the ballpark hungry to play every day as opposed to having two or three high priced guys and then, you know, a couple of schmucks coming out of the bullpen that that, that you can't rely on. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's just it's, it's hard to. to to field a well-rounded team that way, and I think you're starting to. I think you're starting to see it. I see weaknesses in pretty much all the teams uh, that are left. I've seen you know weaknesses in pretty much all the teams throughout the course of the year. It's very very hard. You know, with the exception of maybe last year of the Astros, I didn't really see any weaknesses with them. But um, I think you know going forward with the way money is and and you know going out and paying the Machados. Trouts and the Harpers and the Kershaws and guys like that. Uh, what what the going rate is now? 
and it's going to be hard for those teams to be able to come, you know, to compete unless the, unless their bottom line keeps going up and up and up and up, which is you know not beyond the realm of comprehension either. So, I'd like to see the money kind of kind of level itself out. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we will. One one more, I promise. Just last one right here. You yep. noted that great pitching always beats great hitting. Which pitcher did you hate facing the most? Oh, let's see. Um, I've always said that the the hardest pitcher I ever faced just to make contact off of was Roger Clemens. Um, I remember one time he was pitching against us in Houston, and uh, first inning, I come back in, I grounded out the shortstop. I had like a like a nine pitch at bat, and uh, I come back in, and I am dripping sweat. The roof is closed. I am dripping sweat. I sit down next to Eric Hinsky. He looks at me and goes, dude, are you all right? I'm like, he, he goes, are you sick? I go, no, dude, I just worked my ass off to, to put the ball, you know, to ground out the shortstop off of Clemens. You know, he just had, he had great angle. He had great stuff. He had great location. And he was really tough. Now, I mean, there are a ton of guys, you know, Randy Johnson, six foot ten. Coming from first base, ugly as hell. You know, I mean, it was he was one of the guys I hated facing. You know, but uh, uh, Pedro, you know, dealt against me early on in his career. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not stating the obvious. I'll give you one uh, that uh, I'll give you two that were kind of off the wall that uh, you might not expect. Um, Hideo Nomo, the guy who beat me for Rookie of the Year in 1995. I was 0 for 27 before I got my first hit off him. What? For, he threw a perfect game against me before I got a hit off of him. <laughs> and then another guy by the name of Woody Williams, uh, righty with a big hook from uh, St. Louis and, and Toronto. I was 0 for 22 off of him before I, I got my first hit. So there's there's two kind of off the wall that I hated facing. Brother. That was too fun. I can't thank you enough for your time and insight and sense of yep. humor and candor. Uh, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. No problem, brother. You take it easy, all right? What an awesome, awesome storyteller that guy is. I guess I better get his book. Travis, you think we should get his book? We should probably get his book. Yeah, we probably should. Uh, you know, I feel bad. I did not know these amazing stories, and they were right there in print. I, if I, you would have known had your producer probably done some a little more homework, too. So I'll take some of the heat for that one, too. Well, I'll get the book. Just to make Chipper feel better, I'll get the book. I could tell during our conversation he wanted me to have it. So I will order it off the Amazon, and I will read it on one of the 7,000 planes on which I fly on an annual basis. I looked at my American Airlines frequent flyer miles budget i'm somewhere north of four hundred fifty thousand or something like that it's a little bit aggressive <laughs> at the rate you, at the rate you fly do you board before the pilot does uh basically yeah um uh i'm typically one of the first couple of people on every plane yeah uh and it's funny because there is an anxiety level that comes with traveling no matter how often you do it no matter where you're going, no matter how much time you give yourself, even when I'm going somewhere the day before, even when I'm flying the day before the assignment, I have a weird feeling in my gut 
in every airport. I'm not sure why. I'm not an anxious person, but I always feel that no matter where I'm going, especially on days that I have an assignment. It's a whole other level when I board the plane wearing a suit to go somewhere. If I if I ever board the same plane as you, I will um pass you by and head to the back. I'm I'm you'll not, just I'm not be up there my, yet. No, no, you'll be my companion. I get a companion, man. This guy's with me. Come on, let's do this thing. I love it. Uh by the way, Travis, we've created a phenomenon on the Marty Smith America podcast with the hashtag what can y'all got? It is overwhelming. I mean, it's awesome to see how much y'all love your cans of cold beer. I'm a big cold beer guy. In fact, I went to Tuscaloosa, Alabama very recently because I was interviewing the Tide players before they go play LSU in the game of the century 4.0. And I go to the bar with a couple buddies of mine at Bama, and I'm sitting there. And the bartender girl comes over and she just kind of looks at me and turns and points at the refrigerator. That's our cans. And we chose this amber beer called Blue Pants Amber. It was absolutely off the hook how good it was. Had a couple of those, talked some ball, laughed, cut up. And your response, guys, to the hashtag what cans y'all got has floored me. Travis, what do you think? I'm loving it. Me too, dude. I love beer cans. I, they, I I like the art. I like the thought process that goes into the beer cans. I love the names of the beers. Me too. They are so smart. I mean, they're so witty and so crafty. How about that for a little play on words? Uh, and so crafty. And I just enjoy, I don't know what it is about it, but I'm, I'm sort of, I'm really into the beer can arms race, as it were. We just need to get into it. We do need to get into it. You're right. I think we should have the Marty Party Brewery and we need to get some, we need to partner with one of y'all. One of the breweries out there, I know y'all listen. So let's partner up. Let's have a Marty Party cold beer. It's probably going to be amber. It could match my hair. We could call it the, uh, we could call it ginger ale. Ha 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 ha. I haven't even thought of that. I made that up off the top of my head, Travis. That's pretty good. So y'all call us. And speaking of amazing calls that have to do with what cans y'all got and cold beer, roll it. The Marty Party. What we gonna do, bud? We're gonna drink one of these beers. Hand me one of them damn beers real quick. What's up, man? Marty Party. Howdy, Marty. Producer Travis. Now I know, Marty, you had, uh, asked, um, all the viewers here to uh, share what kind of cans we were all drinking. Well, uh, I'm kind of confused right now. Now, I'm not confused of what I'm drinking. I know what I'm drinking. It's coming out of a stubby bottle, which I would apologize for because I know you're asking for cans. But I'm drinking this Budweiser copper lager, and they're saying that they take the Budweiser and they put it in... Old barrels of Jim Beam. Now, I may be from the Great White North, but uh, I can't figure out if I like it or not. I mind you, tomorrow morning is probably going to be a telltale <laughs> sign. I got six of these bad boys already ingested in me, so <laughs> it might be a rough morning tomorrow. So I, yes. I might have to call you all back and give you an update. But uh, <laughs> it don't look that bad. <laughs> 
it ain't. It doesn't look that bad. Hell, any beer looks pretty good, but this uh, Budweiser Jim Beam beer, it, it ain't bad. It ain't that bad. I don't know. I don't know if you guys got it down here. We get strange stuff up here in Canada, but have you guys have you guys heard of that Jim Beam Budweiser beer? <laughs> it's different. Anyway, talk to y'all later. Well, I appreciate the fact that. Uh, that was a little bit of a therapy session, Travis. We, uh, he, he talked himself from the beginning of the call to the end of the call into the fact that he liked it. And not only did he talk himself into the fact that he liked it, he talked himself into the fact that it looked good. That's might be one of my favorite calls. I mean, he was foobard. That, uh, that old boy right there was, uh, I mean, he was full blown. That, that was a cloud cover. There was no partly cloudy to it. I bet his next morning was a hurricane. Forget partly cloudy. A full-blown storm event came through his brain the next morning. Yeah, the room was spinning for him the next morning. Big time. Big time. And I like how he... So, he says it's Budweiser and Beam combined. That is a redneck cocktail of epic proportions. I might have to try that. Yeah, I almost got one this past week when I was in Tallahassee, but I opted uh, not to. And now, now, seeing this call, I wish I would have, so I could have added some information to it. Well... I'm going to LSU, uh, Alabama. What a coincidence. You're going to LSU, Alabama. So we might just have to try to find one of those. What do you call it? Budweiser Copper or something? Copper Lager. And it has, Copper I, Lager. I've seen the logo. Right. It has like Jim Bean like on it too. All right. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try this. My, my goal this week in life is to try that cold beer and I will report back. And I need you guys to continue the phenomenon. Continue sending Travis and me your what cans y'all got? Cold beers. We love to see them. Hashtag what cans y'all got at Marty Smith ESPN at Travis Rockhold. And I forward them on. Any of you guys who are participating in this can see I'm showing the whole free world these awesome beers. And it is just, I don't know why. I just love to study the cans. My whole fridge, I got a fridge downstairs in my, in my basement, in my man area. With all my football helmets and NASCAR memorabilia and whatnot. I have so many different interesting kinds of local Charlotte beers where I live. Because, I mean, if I'm going to have one, I'm going to have a real good one. If I'm going to have 15 at a tailgate or something, then I'm going something domestic light and cold. You know, if we have this beer in uh, LSU, this is for work. So am I allowed to technically be on the clock when we're drinking then? Is that is that how it well, works? I think so. I think that works for me. Now, that would probably be a question for Louise, but I think uh, as far as I'm concerned, if I was the boss, yes. And we're still trying to put together the uh, Marty Party Fits program where Jason and I have a couple too many and call, commentate a football game. Uh, that is coming at some point. I'm thinking so, national championship. Why not? Well, I mean, that seems like as good a game as any. I uh, I appreciate you guys listening Thank you so much for being invested in this Marty Smith's America podcast. It's the joy of our lives to get to do it. We get to hang out with people like Chipper Jones. Thanks so much to Chipper for his hilarious storytelling, his great insight on the game, where he believes the game is right now. And uh, just just getting to spend time with a guy like him, a legend who I've watched play since I was in high school. And... Thanks to Travis. I appreciate you getting Chipper. Travis does a great job, guys, of getting us awesome guests. Thanks to Louise. 
who's still crazy enough to keep putting us out there, to keep allowing us to, to make this podcast for you guys. Thanks so much to Indochino for being invested in it as well. Y'all go to Indochino.com, promo code Marty, get yourself a custom suit. You need to do that so you look good and fresh here in the fall. Y'all call us. Uh, as you can tell, we get some interesting calls on the Hillbilly Hotline. We'd like to hear your take on anything. If you're at LSU Bama this weekend and you've had a couple too many, you call us. 860-516-1315. That's 860-516-1315. Hit us on the Hillbilly Hotline. No matter what you want to talk about, it doesn't matter. If there's a deer grazing out back, tell us about it. We prefer you to be tuned up a little bit. Get a couple beverages in you before you give us a call. We're the one thing, we are the one avenue that you have that you can call while you've had a couple too many when you're getting good and tuned up where you can, you can expound upon your philosophical approach. We are your avenue. We love it. Call us 860-516-1315. And thanks so much to our military domestically and all around the world for what you guys do. It's appreciated more than you could ever know. We're free for a reason. Y'all be good. We'll see you next time around. Thanks for listening. This is the Marty Smith America podcast.